deals in money. We are constantly seeking deals in money as real estate investors. And I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals, or you can follow up with your investors. And you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Everyone sees all the nice, again, I'm fortunate for success and, and quote unquote wins. They don't see what goes into it behind the veneer of these things looking so so glorified. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest host that we're bringing on to the team. His name is Slocum Reed. Along with myself and Ash, Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does. I've known Slocum for years and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow. He currently owns and operates 65 units, including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever for you. So welcome, Slocum Reed. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and I am here with Ryan Williams. Ryan is joining us from New York City. He's the founder and CEO of Cadre, a commercial real estate investment platform. Over $4.5 billion in value of property has been invested in through the platform across the United States, spanning office buildings, multifamily developments, industrial, and hospitality. Ryan, can you start us off a little more of your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, definitely. Appreciate you having me on. I founded Cadre in 2014. And I found the cadre really from a personal pain point, which was that it was challenging to invest in high quality yield-oriented commercial real estate. I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana originally. Didn't grow up around real estate ownership. It was always a pipe dream for me in many ways. But I was fortunate enough to start getting involved in certain circles and networks where I saw that access to this asset class was not unattainable. And the first network where I saw that being the case was my college, Harvard. Harvard was also a pipe dream for a while, but 
based off my entrepreneurial experiences and some mentors who said, shoot the stars, I applied, got in. And after the culture shock, I really went to work outside the classroom. And the first business and venture I started was a business and venture that was focused on empowering undergraduates to understand real estate, because I knew that most people didn't know. We had a lot of resources there. The second venture I started was a real estate venture, basically buying single family homes during the subprime credit crisis in Atlanta, Georgia. My roommate from college was from Atlanta, visited him, noticed there were all these foreclosed homes up and down the street. We didn't have any money, but we had some classmates who did, a lot more liquid and wealthy than we were. And I've always been fearless. So we said, maybe we should try to start scooping up some of these homes, but investing in them in a way that would actually help sustain the community. So renting them back out to folks who otherwise would be foreclosed on. Long story short is that business ended up scaling pretty nicely. We ended up returning a good amount of capital to the investors. By the time I had graduated, a couple years after school, we owned more than a thousand residential units throughout the Atlanta metro area. And keep in mind, this is my night job. My day job is doing investment banking at Goldman Sachs. And ultimately, I caught the eye of Blackstone in 2012 because they were just about to launch their own single family business. They reached out to me. I ended up joining their firm, ended up working and really seeing a ton of incredible opportunities there, especially across the spectrum of real estate. That was the first time in terms of that network where I saw commercial real estate as an incredibly lucrative asset class based off the investments we were making. So multifamily, industrial, office, hotel. And I saw so much money, so much wealth being created. But when I looked at who it was being created for, I was kind of surprised that it was being created for a really small part of our global economy, the ultra, ultra high net worth investors. So with that realization in mind, I could have kept doing what I was doing, making good money, or followed my heart and passion, which is really about leveling the playing field and building a business that would democratize and unlock access to asset classes like real estate. And I chose the latter and in 2014 decided to set out on my own to build what I believe to be the next generation leading real estate investment platform focused on enabling individuals and larger institutions to directly invest in yield-oriented commercial real estate that would give them protection against inflation, which we're seeing today, that would give them the ability to generate returns that would outpace the equity markets and diversification, especially when there's unparalleled and unprecedented volatility in the stock market and crypto market. And it was really, again, about bringing the institutions, the folks that I worked for and worked with, in line with the individuals, letting more people invest. And we've been able to build a digital platform where people can log in, invest in either individual deal-by-deal buildings that our team of experts screens and underwrites, or invest in a portfolio of real estate that we'll curate for them. So the idea of Cadre was born out of a pain point I saw and a recognition that I thought it should be more accessible for the average individual to invest. And we're fortunate and grateful that we're just getting started on the mission, despite the strong track record we built to date. Awesome. Clearly a very impressive background, Ryan. I'm sure you hear that often. There are a couple of things going into the how and the why of you founding Cadre that I'm interested in diving into. You spoke specifically about leveling the playing field of commercial real estate investing, but investing in general, and that being one of the reasons that you founded Cadre. Is Cadre qualified as a crowdfunding platform? Is that the right terminology? We don't consider 
ourselves a crowdfunding platform, largely because today the vast majority of our owner operator base are what I would consider more institutional in nature, so to speak, right? So the individual investors that have invested with us are at least accredited investors, but the vast majority are qualified purchasers and even more are institutions. So think about endowments like Harvard University, think about foundations, JPB, MacArthur, others like that. And then on the supply side, so where we get our deals from, those are operators, developers who have worked with large funds, but see Cadre as a much more flexible, much more agile and progressive source of capital. Now, I say all that to say phase one of our business is Cadre establishes its position as the leading platform for individuals to invest in. How do we go about doing that? We go about doing that by building a track record, proving ourselves with the most quote-unquote sophisticated part of the market, proving ourselves going head-to-head with some of the largest private equity funds in the world, prove ourselves as the ideal capital partner for the most talented, experienced operators, and as the best platform for the most sophisticated, quote-unquote, institutional investors. That's phase one. Phase two is cadre opening up access to a much wider range of individuals, retail customers, anybody who wants to invest can then invest. And it's also opening our network of deal flow, our operator base up to any qualifying operating partner who has a desire to raise money and scale their business, maybe is a little bit smaller than our average equity check. But I've been really focused on that two-phased approach, largely because I think it's the right way, ultimately, to go down market to a kind of quote-unquote crowdfunding type ecosystem. To go that way, I think is the best way because you're going there with the tech infrastructure already built, so you can actually support an amazing user experience. So imagine a world where you're an individual, you're somebody who grew up in my hometown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You don't have a lot of capital, just like I didn't have a lot of money growing up, but you can now invest alongside the largest endowment in the world on our platform in a frictionless way with a click of a few buttons. No one can offer that today. And that's what we want to be able to do. Let's talk a little bit more about that. One of the things that you said was that in phase two, you're looking to attract retail investors. That's a term that I've heard used many more times than I have heard it defined. How do you define retail investors? Yeah, I define retail investor as any individual or group of individuals, we'll say, who has at least $100 capital that they're looking to invest outside the equity or stock market. So pretty much anybody who has some ability to aggregate disposable income of $100 plus or minus. Ryan, you were saying earlier that getting into phase two was leading you to the ability to have retail investors invest with Cadre. And you said retail investors, anybody with basically any liquid up $100 or more. Are you there already? Do you have those retail investors or are you currently limited to accredited investors? So we have the demand. If we want to turn on the the faucet, so to speak, and start opening up access tomorrow, we could. But we have limited and focused our platform to accredited investors only today. Now that will change. If I told you exactly when that changed, it'd be breaking news. But I would bet you that if we were sitting here 18 months from now, it will have changed. And retail customers will have been able to invest at scale because we're working on some innovative products. But the reason why we're still focused in limiting the platform to accredited investors is because I firmly believe 
once we go down to the retail investor market and open up to any individual, I want to go from a place of credibility, from trust. I want the experience to be incredible. When I started the business, what I saw is that there were a lot of quote unquote crowdfunding websites that were out there. And I love the mission of democratization, love the access opening up. That's core to me. Ryan, I want to talk specifically to the best ever listeners who feel a same call to make the real estate investing opportunities that you and I can now take for granted available to anyone with the $100 that you were talking about before. For those of us who want to do something similar or do the same thing, how is it that you make that transition? Let me back off of that question for a second and just recognize that it is much easier to raise capital if you limit yourself to accredited investors. That's the way that the SEC has set the rules of the game. How is it that you make that transition to non-accredited retail investors and making the same opportunities available to them that are typically only limited to accredited investors? First, marketing. Make it clear that you can invest for as little as $100 or $200. We haven't done that today. We just hired a CMO for that purpose so we can educate folks. Second is structure. And then I think third is engagement and reporting. So making sure people understand what they own, how they own it and the like. And I'll add a fourth, which is liquidity. So the other thing that we've done that no one else in the space has done is built the industry's first secondary market. So now people can actually get liquidity on our platform sooner than they otherwise would if they were to invest in traditional real estate funds, they even had access or frankly, if they were to invest in club deals. So to make sure I understand what you're talking about with the secondary market, I invest in a deal on Cadre. I can then sell my, would you call them shares? I can sell my shares in that deal on the secondary market? To other Cadre buyers as well. So yeah, that's, that's the right way to think about it. Gotcha. Ryan, when it comes to marketing and engagement out of the four items that you just mentioned. There's already a lot of podcasts and other thought leadership content on that. Specific to how you package investment opportunities so that it makes sense for you to make up opportunities available to people who are only investing hundreds of dollars or a few thousand dollars. How is it that you structure that opportunity so that it is sustainable for you with the amount of logistics and paperwork involved and the number of investors that you have to take on to buy commercial real estate when people are only investing hundreds or thousands of dollars. Do you have to have massive scale before it makes sense to do that? You need scale before it makes sense to do that is what I believe. I wouldn't say massive scale. The reason I want to say massive scale is because I think if you can develop technology You can generate leverage for end-to-end automation of reporting, investing without needing the massive scale. And that's what I spent the last eight years doing. We have an in-person, in-house technology team, more than 40 product managers, engineers, and designers. And what they've developed, what I consider a modern software stack for commercial real estate investment management. Everything from document signing to funding of capital to reporting to our secondary market has been automated. So as a result, we don't need to hire armies of people to support that kind of scale, but you still do need good volume because there's a reality to the economics, which is why we started our business at the top, so to speak, of the investing market where we were able to get larger folks on earlier. 
We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Invest investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. When you get to the point that you're making these opportunities available to retail investors, what are those opportunities going to look like? The primary point of comparison for our best ever listeners, Ryan, is the apartment syndication where you have general partners putting a deal together, structuring it in such a way that limited partners have a preferred return. It's underwritten to a three to seven year hold with a disposition at the end. And the majority of the profits coming from the sale going back to limited partners. How are the deals structured that will be made available to retail investors? Not dissimilar. All of the deals we've done to date are JVs right, where we are effectively the syndicator, if you will. We partner with operators. We have a network of more than 400. We work with 40 or so to date. We only approve 1% of the deals we see. And our future customer and investor base, just like our current investor base, will be able to invest either directly as an LP in one of these single asset funds or JVs, or alternatively in a portfolio fund product that we'll be launching where they can get diversified access across 15 to 20 or so of these properties. But they'll be the similar kind of preferred return, similar promote. As I mentioned, historically, our returns have been a little bit less than 20%, but we'll likely target low to mid double digit type returns on a net IRR basis. And generally, or close to a 2x net multiple is what we've targeted, which is also where we've historically performed around. Ryan, for the best of our listeners who have thought about doing what you're doing, Not necessarily exactly the same way, but building a business to the scale of yours with over four and a half billion in value of properties that have been invested in through your platform and creating a platform that is large enough that it can create opportunities for non-accredited investors. One of the questions I often ask as an owner operator when I'm looking at apartment syndications and GPs is, 
not to put this the wrong way, but where is the money for the GP? Because coming from the owner operator buy and hold standpoint, I buy, I get the cash flow, I get the appreciation when I sell all the money is mine. So if I were going to GP a deal and bring in limited partners and give them really juicy returns, how is it that I make money as the GP? I wish I had a more sophisticated way to ask this question, Ryan, but building it to the scale that you have, if I wanted to do the same thing, where would the profitability be for me? Is this the kind of thing that takes many years of acquisitions, deal structuring, and then dispositions before I'm going to see any proceeds for myself? Or is this the kind of thing that is more... I think you know what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I get it. Ryan. I get you. I get it. it. Yeah, sure. So what I would say is that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a long marathon. It's a fast-paced marathon. And I've been very upfront with all of my corporate investors and backers, Ford Foundation, Andreessen Horowitz, General Catalyst, Thrive, et cetera, that this is a business that overnight is not going to be returning massive profits. And the reason is because... One, the main revenue source for our business are fees. So upfront fees, asset management fees, those grow and compound, just the the rules and laws of compounding as we scale our asset base. The second big revenue stream for us is promote and carry. We don't charge a separate 2 and 20, which is a big benefit to our end investors because there's no double promote in our model. But whenever an individual property is sold, we do get profits, but that can take three, four, five, six years. So the answer to the question of as a, the GP owner of the business itself, how do I think about profits and how long it takes is, in my mind, it's going to take close to where we are today, eight years or so of growth to get to a point where the business is profitable, where the AUM assets under management support from a revenue perspective, profitability, and it'll take a few additional positive exits, which we'll be announcing shortly where we return money, um, I can redistribute some of those profits to our team as well. But again, it's a fast-paced marathon rather, or a long sprint, if you will. Gotcha. This may be an assumption that most of our best ever listeners have, but I still want to ask, Ryan, you scaled quickly. And scaling quickly as a business owner, founder and CEO in your case, is expensive. So let me make some assumptions and then please affirm them where they're right. Correct me where I'm wrong. When I say scaling is expensive, what I mean is that it sounds like the kind of operation where in order to reach the scale that you have in the last eight years, basically all, if not almost all of the revenue that Cadre is generating is getting reinvested in its own infrastructure. Thinking from the perspective of someone who would want to build the next cadre? Is that the expectation that someone needs to have? Is that if you want to scale as quickly as cadre has, you're going to have to reinvest as much as you possibly can in the business. This is not something that's going to provide great lifestyle for you up front. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. What I would tell you is that if you want to build cadre, if you want to replicate what we're building and replicate what our vision is, then this is going to take more than eight years to do. If you want to scale a business without the vision, and the vision that I have is to improve every single individual, credit or non-accredited personal financial future by making real estate as accessible as any equity 
that they can invest on any platform today. It's an ambitious vision for sure. And it means you need to create infrastructure so you can reach every single individual in the world, every member of our global economy. So that's the aspiration and the vision. Plus, you want to make sure you can continue to grow. Then it's a decade type investment and experience. And that's because technology, which is a key part of what we do, just as key as real estate, it's hard to build. It's hard to get right. It's hard to create the infrastructure. And it's hard to create a cohesive organization where you have the same level of talent on the real estate side as the technology side. We're reinvesting almost every dollar that we generate in back to the business so we can scale further and faster. But yeah, the expectation should be that it's going to take a while. Lifestyle is not for the faint of heart, but I wouldn't really want to do anything else than build this business. I had a similar conversation with a newbie investor that I met at the Best Ever Meetup group that I host here in Cincinnati. Oh, really? Yeah, about finding the hard work most people aren't willing to do that you love that brings you joy. And then that's where success comes from. That's exactly right. Yeah, right. I'm excited for Cadre. I love your vision and your mission. Uh, And that's one of the reasons I have the questions that I do, Ryan, is I and I know a lot of our best ever listeners have similar desires. And we are trying to find ways, possibly similar to Cadre, possibly different to do similar things and make the investing opportunities that we've discovered through reading books, getting into podcasts, meeting people like you, like Joe Fairless. I know that there are a lot of people who have similar motivations. So I'm hoping those people are listening to this episode and taking notes on this conversation and recognizing that, that it is possible to make these kinds of opportunities available and hopefully find ways, maybe not necessarily to replicate cadre, but find other ways to do the same thing. The investor who can only put together a hundred dollars at a time and needs to get a return and needs to build for a future. Those people ought to have more opportunities. It's awesome that you're working on creating those, Ryan. Are you ready for our best ever lightning round? Let's do it. Awesome. What is the best ever book you've recently read? The best book I've recently read, I would say, is The Untethered Soul. And I know it sounds a bit philosophical, that's because it is, but it's one of the best ever books I read, Michael Singer, because I think what it helped illustrate for me is to get real inner freedom. You have to observe your problems. You can't get lost in them. Awesome. What is your best ever way to give back? Time, guidance, experience, advice. I've had so many people give back to me. And time's the only thing you can't get more of at the end of the day. Through the experience of building Cadre, what is the best ever skill you've developed? Being a true listener. Listening until the other person on the other side of the table's fully finish their thought or statement. And what is your best ever advice? Best ever advice is output's never greater than input. You highlighted it before, but everyone sees all the nice, again, I'm fortunate for success and and quote unquote wins. They don't see what goes into it behind the veneer of these things looking so, so glorified. But what it takes to put into something like Cadre is much more than what, frankly, I'll get out of it just given the work and the inertia with building and scaling anything. Last question, Ryan, where can people get in touch with you? 
Best way to get in touch with me is email. I made it easy enough so I could respond Ryan at cadre.com or to go to cadre.com. We pride ourselves on being incredibly responsive. But yeah, I'd love to figure out a way to create a syndicate of best ever real estate investing listeners, create my own little cadre and Maybe there's a way for us to do that down the line as well. But Ryan at cadre.com is my email. Yeah, links to your email and website will be in the show notes as well. Ryan, thank you. And best of our listeners, thank you as well. If you've gotten value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend who has similar desires and motivations to Ryan's and mine. Thank you and have a best ever day.